I'm Banning Air, and you're listening to Season 6 of the Afropop Close-Up Podcast, where we go beyond the music into politics, religion, history, and culture. In this episode, producer Ben Richmond sits down with Yasmin Williams, a solo guitarist who's bringing a truly unique approach to the instrument. From providing her own accompaniment with a single tap shoe, to using the guitar as a drum, to incorporating the metallic pluck of an mbira, Williams is a breath of fresh air into the world of instrumental acoustic guitar, which has gotten her profiled in the New York Times and acclaim for her new album, Urban Driftwood. As a young black woman artist, she's forging her own path into the typically white and male-dominated genre. I loved Yasmin Williams' music the first time I heard it, but it wasn't until I saw a video of her playing live that I truly appreciated how special she is. You can look it up on YouTube. There's a video of Yasmin playing beside a stream at the New York Guitar Festival. She's playing the song Juvenescence off her new album, and it's going along. Yasmin is weaving these beautiful necklaces of acoustic guitar runs when all of a sudden she hits a harmonic and flips the guitar onto her lap like a lap steel. And she starts playing and embellishing this already complex song using both hands. She's looking down at almost like a piano, tapping and looking just absolutely fly in a bow tie. Guitar virtuosity seems like it's so rarely used to create something this peaceful and tangibly hopeful. So in the waning days of spring, I called her up to ask how she ever thought of that. Naturally, she gave the credit to video games. You should meet her. Yeah, so uh, I'm Yasmin. I play guitar and other instruments, but um, mainly a guitarist and composer. And I released my latest album, Urban Driftwood, this year. It's been getting really good <laughs> reviews and doing really well, and I'm super honored and super proud that people are listening to it and like it. Yeah, I've been noticing there's a, a groundswell for this album. Is that more than you experienced with the first one? It seems like you're gaining momentum. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely more than Unwind, my first album. And I wasn't really expecting all of this. I mean, it's great, but especially after last year with COVID and everything that happened, and this was kind of like a, a windfall of sorts um, to start the year off, which is really cool, but pretty uh, shocking. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if there was more space in the musical world or in people's listening appetites for something as I find it like very peaceful. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the goal for the record. Even though it's about some hard-hitting topics like, you know, police brutality, social injustices, um, and stuff like that, I still wanted it to be just kind of meditative and have a hopeful uh, quality to it. I didn't want it to sound angry or, you know, anything like that. So, yeah, that's good that that comes through. told this story before, but for those listeners who don't know or haven't had a chance to pick up the times, uh, how did you get started as a guitarist? <laughs> I started playing real guitar by kind of playing Guitar Hero 2, the video game, um, and I, I, I love the game. I eventually beat it, 
and my I asked my parents to buy me a real guitar, and they bought me an electric guitar. And yeah, I've been playing ever since. That was 12 years ago, I guess. And funnily enough, the game really influenced my playing technique that I have now with a lot of the tapping that I do, and either lap tapping or, you know, even finger style. Um, kind of the mechanics of playing Guitar Hero definitely inspired my playing technique now, which is pretty cool when you think about it. Kind of weird, but since most people, most people kind of give video games a bad rep, um, I recommend it. <laughs> but. It's kind of interesting you ended up being uh, an instrumentalist since Guitar Hero songs, you know, everything is in generally the, the rock milieu. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you start composing for yourself? What kind of songs were your first songs? I started composing for myself when I switched to acoustic guitar, which was about a year and a half in after I started playing guitar in general. I found that electric guitar just didn't give me the flexibility or it didn't really give me the inspiration I needed to want to compose my own tunes. Since I guess electric guitar is just very much, you can't really, you know, you can't really do percussion with it. You can't really, you know, it just sounds different from acoustic guitar. So I switched to acoustic guitar and it really uh, kind of opened my world in terms of writing my own songs. And that was basically immediately after I started playing acoustic, I started writing my own things. So that was, how old was I, like 13, 14-ish? And you never like tried singing over your playing? No, nope, that never occurred. (laughs) I had to do it one time for a class assignment, and I hated it. (laughs) Other than that, nah. It's just not what comes naturally to me. I did sing in choir as a kid, which was fun, but with guitar, I just feel I don't really need to add any vocals. The guitar kind of just speaks for itself. You seem to have a a real kind of a self-direction in there. Where do you think that comes from? I don't know. I honestly just think it comes from me not wanting to sound like anyone else. I mean, when I early on, when I started playing, I definitely did want to sound like uh, I don't know, like a Paul Gilbert or one, some of one of like those one of those shredder type people. But pretty quickly, I realized that's just not what I was meant to do because I couldn't do it. <laughs> Is that one of those like high level uh, oh, songs yeah. on Guitar Hero? Yeah, it's literally like what. what what I don't even remember what there's a metal song on there from a metal group that like on expert I could I think I got I got it eventually but I always wanted to learn how to play it on an actual guitar and I've yet to learn how to I don't know (laughs) but my fingers don't move that quickly I guess but yeah once I got acoustic I didn't really find any music that I liked I didn't really like a lot of the finger style solo stuff that I saw on YouTube um I don't know it just didn't remind me of the music that I grew up listening to a lot of it was very folky or you know it I wasn't really digging it at the time so I just was really kind of focused on what I wanted to do and what I wanted to play and I wanted to sound like myself and I kind of found my voice very early on which helped yeah what would you say that your background what were you listening to uh before well I listened to a lot of my parents played a lot of go-go music hip-hop music uh, smooth jazz was huge Um, which I think also kind of influenced my playing and just my song styles and being so, making music that's calming and relaxing. That's probably a lot of the Quiet Storm that we listen to and smooth jazz. A lot of the fingerstyle music I knew of at the time didn't really have those qualities. So I kind of just wanted to invent my own, which led to me doing a lot of weird things like adding instruments onto my guitar and like tap shoes and playing weird and, you know, whatever I needed to do to try to sound like myself or sound like whatever was in my head at the time is what I did.
One of the most astounding things about your playing is I was watching the uh, the New York Guitar Festival videos. Oh yeah, those are so fun. You started uh, Juvenescence. And it's this beautiful song, and I'm enjoying it, I'm having a good time. And then midway through, I had never seen you slap the guitar down in your lap like a lap steel and then start tapping. Uh-huh. And it was, you know, like it was the most normal thing in the world, but I've never <laughs> seen that before. How did you figure that out? <laughs> really, it was just a necessity because I can't play that section any other way. So basically, I just timed the, I don't know what to call it, the... the, the Positional shift? No, it's not like a twirl. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but I time the positional shift so that I can play the section. Because, um, yeah, that I, I tried playing it just, you know, upright, and it, it, I can't tap that way at all. So I have to. I do it in a few of my songs, actually, where I just set it down. Sometimes I set it down and bring it back up and set it back down again. Um, whatever I have to do. <laughs> but yeah, that was basically just like, it's just problem solving. It's just, it was necessary for me to play that part of the song. When did you figure out that that was a way that guitar could be played? Oh, that was really early on. That was maybe a couple years into playing. It was just more natural for me, especially after I got the acoustic guitar. I can't really do the percussion stuff that some other players can do, like with the guitar upright. I have to kind of put it in my lap to do the drum beats and the play what I want to play and yeah it's just a it's just easier to see the fretboard it's easier to know what I'm doing it's a lot of techniques become more readily available with the guitar in my lap it's just yeah it's just easier uh people usually don't believe me when I tell them that but (laughs) (laughs) it just seems like if it was easy you know uh we'd all be doing it (laughs) well yeah I guess I don't know I guess I'm weird (laughs) but it's easy for me I watched another video and you started off with an Elizabeth Cotton cover, and I think you've mentioned her elsewhere. Yeah. And she very much is someone who also played guitar in her own milieu because she was left-handed and so she would play it upside down and mm-hmm. do the alternating bass with her finger instead of her thumb. This might be a bit of a stretch, but with instrumental acoustic guitaring being such like a white guy, folky dominated field, yeah. once you like resolve that you're going to do what you're going to do and... Do you think that as an artist, you're just like, well, I'm already in my own lane. If it works for me, it works for me? Yeah. I'm. That's basically, yeah. Well, I guess I, I should say, if I had seen Elizabeth Cotton or a lot of the Piedmont players like Etta Baker and um, Algia Mayhinton and Sister Rosetta Tharp and all of them early on, that would have been really great for me. And I maybe would have tried to model them, but I didn't know about them until a couple years ago, really. So when I was learning how to play or teaching myself how to play, it was really just kind of me in my own bubble. And once I found my voice, which was, again, early on, I didn't really care about what anyone else was doing. I was just like, all right, uh, this is me. And people like it or they don't. Um, (laughs) I think it's cool, so I'm going to keep doing it and try to get better. Thank you. 
On a song uh, like the opener, Sun Showers, on the new new album, it sounds like you've got multiple tracks going. How do you compose? Are you writing things down as you go? Do you commit to memory? Do you like jot down a section and kind of a, a little reminder? But can you walk us through how you compose yeah. something like that? So all of the above. Um, <laughs> I I used to just like record little voice memos of just idea snippets that I would have throughout the day or you know during a practice session or whatever. Now, after college, I've started writing most of my ideas down and recording voice memos um, because writing it down is just easier and I can just recall it faster and I don't have to have two million voice memos like I already do <laughs> um, and try to go through them all. Uh, but yeah, for a lot of the songs on Urban Driftwood, the ones that are overdubbed, um, I it was a process of just writing down the foundational tracks like for sun showers there's a, a guitar track that kind of is steady throughout the piece so i wrote that down you know like with notation and then i would just kind of commit it to memory and then kind of finish the song in my head um or finish the other guitar parts in my head and yeah so yeah it's just a mix of notation and voice memos and everything gets committed to memory though i don't like reading sheet music while recording I saw that you put together a playlist for the Smithsonian. Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, I, I think Afropop listeners would be really curious about, you know, you've got some Baseku Kuyate and Tumani Diabate. And then on the new album, mm-hmm. Amadou uh, Kuyate lends percussion to the title track. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your connection to African music? I first heard, I would honestly call it like African classical music, really. But I first heard that style of music in high school and I was, became obsessed with it a little bit. Um, I read about it a lot in college because our library had a ton of books on it. So I read all every book I could find about just griots and the culture behind it. And I had wanted a Quora for the longest. And I finally got one after a friend of mine was selling his. And no one wanted it, so I, I snagged it. <laughs> and yeah, I've been trying to teach myself how to play it just to try to kind of be more connected with that style of music and learn more about it. But also the core is just a great songwriting tool anyway in general, and it sounds really nice with acoustic guitar. Um, but yeah, Amadou playing drums on Urban Driftwood was great too. I really, he did a great job, and I can definitely see my music kind of heading more in that direction, like whether that means like using more ensembles or um, adding more parts or adding more instruments to my songs instead of just like solo guitar. I'm not sure yet, but yeah, I'm very inspired by that tradition of music, and um, I'm trying to learn more about it. Uh, I did a show called The Black History of the Banjo, and I talked to a number of uh, younger black women artists who felt like uh, their story in the history of the banjo had kind of been paved over, appropriated away, and it was time to kind of take that back and take ownership. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you're an artist, so I'm not obliging you to give me the Rihanna and Giddens, like, uh, hour-long history lesson that she just tossed off without any effort. But uh, do you feel like um, part of what you can do is like uncover some history in the acoustic guitar that's been untold in its story? That's a really cool question. I don't know. I would say maybe. I mean, it's not really something that I think about. I think more of what I can do to push the instrument forward in a new direction, more so than retelling past things but yeah i mean for example lgma hinton you know buck dancing and playing guitar at the same time um 
I hadn't seen that ever until like, I don't remember, like a year or two ago. And it really reminded me like, oh, wow, I use tap shoes and like play guitar at the same time, too. That's kind of like I didn't realize that was such an old like tradition. So, yeah, I guess I could be kind of retelling historical things about guitar that maybe people have forgotten about or didn't know. But yeah, I don't know. That's I've never actually thought about how I play like that. That's cool. I'd have to uh, think more about it. <laughs> I mean, I think that like being an artist, like you can, you know, in the playing of it, like the history of it is a different discipline altogether. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, guitar is such a, I mean, it depends on what style of guitar we're even talking about. I mean, I could easily rattle off the history of finger style guitar, which is a lot different than the history of, you know, like the history of the Piedmont blues guitarists or Delta guitarists or any, you know, old time guitarists. I mean, guitar is just such an expansive instrument. It's really hard to <laughs> go back and try to figure out what you're, what you're even influenced by, really. Yeah, what do you, what do you attribute the widespread uh, appeal of the guitar? I just think like it's cheap. It seems to travel well, but uh, and you, yeah, what what have you come across? I mean, in your research, <laughs> guitar is pretty. You can get a guitar for cheap. It's relatively easy to travel with. But I think the main thing is it just sounds good and it, you can, you know, if you put the work in, it's really not that difficult to learn how to play. And once you know a few chords, you can play hundreds of songs. <laughs> you know, once you know a few blues licks, you, you can play tens of hundreds of blues tunes, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's, it's a very, to me, a community-oriented instrument. Um, when, I mean, it's great to play with people. It's great to play at gatherings. It's not too hard to learn how to play and it's just yeah it's you can do so much with it i mean it's like a box of wood but you can beat on it you can strum it you can play with your fingers play it with a pick play it with a slide play it with your foot i don't know you can do anything really there's not many instruments that are like that (laughs) (laughs) um are you and you mentioned uh i guess i think it was maybe tacoma park you mentioned you were working on the banjo is that still in the works yeah so oh, oh man Poor banjo. <laughs> I had one, and I was doing well teaching myself. I have clips on Instagram, and I was <laughs> looking back. I was doing really well. I don't know why. I ended up selling it out of frustration. Um, <laughs> just got tired. I don't know. I guess when you're like, when you play in one instrument that you're kind of good at for a while, you become accustomed to being good at it. So starting over on a new instrument, you're not used to. Even if you're not bad, you're not used to not being as good as you are on your main instrument. So it's like kind of a mental gymnastics thing you got to deal with. But I do want a new banjo. I'm getting another banjo. I will not sell it this time. I will learn. I really want to learn banjo. I love banjo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you've got some other instruments in the repertoire. I saw a lamellophone in that performance as well. I have an imbira and I have a kalimba. They're technically different they sound the same, but they're technically different things. I need to learn how to play them correctly. I really don't know the <laughs> proper technique. Uh, I'll just watch some more Maurice White videos and figure that out, I guess. But Because um, <laughs> a lot of times when I'm playing guitar with it, I can't use my thumbs. You're supposed to use your thumbs to play it, but I have to use my fingers because my thumbs aren't available because I'm playing guitar at the same time. So I have to use some fingers on my right hand to play it. But eventually I'll get around to actually learning how to play them correctly. But yeah, I have those. I have bass. I have twelve-string guitars. Um, I have a berimbau now that I'm learning how to play. Um, yeah, I have a lot of a lot of stuff here. 
Well, I, I would say that, uh, Yasmin, your, your career up to this point is an example of the ambiguous advantages of learning how to play something quote-unquote correctly. I think that uh, <laughs> the, the end results can always speak for themselves. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. I mean, I, I try to tell people, like, don't get bogged down in, you know, tradition or what you think you should be doing. If it feels natural to you and it allows you to express yourself most fluently, then just go with that, you know? There's only one you, so <laughs> you might as well make that sound the best as best as you can. So uh, what's next for you this year? Oh, man. Yeah, so there's a ton going on. The main things are... I am working with an orchestra ensemble called Contemporaneous. We're going to put on a show in July, on July 21st in New York City, and they're arranging three of my pieces that are on Urban Driftwood for the orchestra, which is really cool. Um, I'm working with composers now on that. I'm writing a piece for a Burnbow group. That's really cool. Um, I finally get to put on my composer hat for, you know, that's outside of just writing guitar stuff, which is which is nice. I'm going to be touring a lot in the fall. Um, I'm going to be going to Merle Fest, Tree Fort Fest, uh, Americana Fest. I'll be all over the place in the fall. I'll be announcing tour dates soon. Um, that'll basically be from September to December, I believe. And um, yeah, there's tons of other stuff. Some stuff I can't really mention right now, but yeah, a lot of cool stuff happening. <laughs> yeah, I, man, this is this is so exciting. I mean, we've all had uh, so long kind of like shut in listening to your music and like the experience of seeing it is yet another level. So. Yeah, I just played at the Birchmere with I opened for Tommy Emanuel. And um, I mean, it was a sold out show and just playing in front of people and especially at the Birchmere um, with that many people there it was definitely it reminded me that I actually do miss live music and don't want to be in my house for much longer. So I'm definitely trying to get back on the road. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that uh, I think that you're going to be seeing some uh, some bigger crowds in the near future. Yeah, definitely. You've been hearing Yasmin Williams with music from her new album Urban Driftwood, out now on Spinster, a radical feminist record label. Keep an eye on Afropop.org for those tour dates, including Yasmin Williams' show at the City Winery, November 12th. This Afropop close-up was made possible with a grant by the National Endowment for the Arts. But to keep this series going, we need your support. Visit Afropop.org and make a donation. Every dollar counts. For Afropop Worldwide, I'm Ben Richman.